Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 186 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. He's back. He's back. I'm joined by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's dive straight into the review part of the show, into part one. We're going to start here at the Fraport Arena in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, one or two fights to mention over here. Obviously, the young prospect, I think he's only 23. His name's Abbas Baral. I said it on last week's show. He's a Sauerland-promoted fighter. He beat Carlos Molina last time out. It was very, very um, controversial, in my opinion, especially one or two of the scorecards. They were shocking. But anyway, he got in here against Ali Funika, a guy who had a record of 40 wins, 10 losses, and 3 draws. Um... Funika hadn't really boxed at a fantastically high level. He had a bit of a padded record to actually pick up 40 wins, but he came unstuck here. He got TKO'd in the fifth round, so a good win there from Abbas Baral. Um, You know, certainly gaining that experience. The experience difference between the two was incredible. I mean, Baral only had five fights. Funika, like I say, had 53 fights, so that's over 10 times the amount of fights. I mean, that, quite frankly, doesn't happen, so credit there to Baral. Certainly one to look out for in the future. Also on that bill, the Swedish Anthony Yidjit, he moved to 23 wins. He's got the one loss and the one draw, a TK also in the fifth round against his opponent Sandro Hernandez now 15 and 8 with three draws um that's it for that one there. Moving out now to Manchester at the Victoria Warehouse in in uh, in Lancashire, United Kingdom. Just one fight really to mention. It went under the radar massively. Kez Ashfak, the Olympian, he moved to 6-0, and a knockout in the very first round against Stefan Sashev, who's now 5-21 and with one draw. It was a right hand um, upstairs for Ashfak. It ended proceedings very quickly. Like I say, first round knockout. He's 6-0, and Ashfak. You know, I've, I've said before that Joe Cordina doesn't really get the hype that Lawrence Ocoli and Josh Kelly and all the, you know, Buatzi, all the rest of them. Um, he doesn't get the the same kind of level of hype, um, Joe Cordina. Whereas Kez Ashfak is probably the most unpopular 2016 Olympian. I mean, it's crazy, really. He's completely going under the radar fighting here at the Victoria Warehouse. But very quick win there. I thought he was actually signed with Matrim, but perhaps he's not. Um, moving out now stateside, two bills to mention. Let's start with the Stockton Arena card in California, USA. Um, over here we got to see uh, Arta Baturbiev move to 14-0, and a knockout in the fifth round against Radivoj Kaladzic, also known as Hot Rod. His only loss actually came on points in a split decision loss over eight rounds to now WBC light heavyweight world champion Marcus Brown. So it was a very controversial loss. A lot of people felt that he nicked it on the night. That was his one blemish. And like I say, Arta Baturbiev, he went in there. Uh, there was a few interesting moments. I think Baturbiev kind of sometimes can lunge, sometimes he can kind of fall over his feet coming in and you're begging for his opponent to throw an uppercut and take a step back you know but um yeah he didn't really uh cause too many too many problems to Baturbiev did Mr. Hot Rod but um another brutal win really for Baturbiev he he remains um 14 and 0 undefeated all 14 by knockout he's got that 100% knockout ratio it was obviously a defense of his IBF world light heavyweight title Kaladzic was down in round 3 and like I say stopped in the 5th round uh the main event over there though I think it was the main event anyway uh Jerwin and Kahas he moved to 31 and 1 with two draws he took on Ryuchi Funai I'm not going to lie I didn't really know too much about him before the bout, but he was a tough guy. He put up a tough, brave effort, really. He didn't really win anything, but he um, 
you know, he put up a brave effort and, and he was actually stopped in the seventh round on the advice of the ringside physician, if I'm not mistaken. So a, a win there for Ankahas. That's win number 31. He's got the one loss and, of course, the two draws. That's it for that one. Moving out now, though, to the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Let's start with the undercard over here. Saddam Ali. I couldn't believe this one. 27-2 and going in. Of course, former world champion at light middleweight. He took on Anthony Young. Um... I mean, a bit of a prospect. 20-2, and two, Anthony Young was going into that fight. Um, but, of course, Anthony Young hadn't fought anyone even close to the level of Saddam Ali. And it was quite shocking, to be honest with you. Um, a, a knockout in the third round. Saddam Ali just... I mean, while it lasted, it was quite a kind of back-and-forth type fight. I think that Anthony Young was getting the better of it, but... He just couldn't stand up to his punches in that third round. And Ali took so many shots without answering back. And the referee was forced to jump in and stop it. So that's a mega, mega upset there. That's almost like Linares when he got stopped in the first round, was it? Or the second round recently in that fight against a guy who really shouldn't have troubled him. Um, it was it was that kind of thing, you know? It, it's weird. Um so yeah, a big a big upset there um, in favour of Anthony Young. He beats former world champion Saddam Ali. I think he even did it quicker than um, than Jaime Mungia did it when he dethroned him of the belt. But that one, by the way, was down at one four seven because Saddam Ali decided to make the move back down. Um, but yeah, that's it for that one. Also on the bill, Lamont Roach was in a real test. It was his 20th professional outing. His record's now 19-0 and with that one draw. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Jonathan Aquendo, 30-6 and now. It was for the WBO International and WBO NABO Super Featherweight titles. Aquendo had a point deducted in the 8th round for using his head. Um, but yeah, a quite close fight, to be completely honest there. Also, Virgil Ortiz Jr., I think I said it on last week's show with Barry Jones that he had really gone under the radar a good prospect, I've been hearing a lot of promising things about him, he took on former um, I think he was interim champion Maurizio Herrera, good fighter to a certain degree, like I said many many times about him, he's a friend of the show, he's been on before and he is a guy that ends up on the wrong side of a controversial decision quite often um, but yeah, he actually got KO'd in three rounds by Virgil Ortiz Jr. And that is a mega statement there. 13-0 now him. Also on the bill, Joseph Diaz moved to 29-1. I didn't really watch this one. It was a TKO in the seventh round over Freddie Fonseca, who's now 26-3 and with one draw. Uh, Fonseca was also down in the sixth round. That one was for the vacant WBA gold super featherweight title. Not a fan of that at all. Um, for a slightly more serious belt, I guess you'd say, the interim WBA world super middleweight title. We saw a friend of the show, John Ryder, Hopefully he'll be coming on this week's show. I've reached out to him, so hopefully he'll be on um, in in well in this in this week's show. Like I say, uh, his record going in twenty seven and four. He took on the unbeaten Bilal Akawi from Australia, a man that I'm hearing, or I was certainly hearing before this fight, that he was a future world champion for Australia. Like I say, 20-0 with one draw. The TKO came in the third round for John Ryder. Akawi was down twice in that third round, and in the end, I mean, he kept getting back up, credit to him, but in the end, uh, the referee, Jay Nady, had seen enough. A very, very good win once again there for Mr. Ryder. Um, I'm over the moon for John Ryder. It seems like he's moved up to 168 and he's just become totally rejuvenated. Um, you know, to actually think that he once got stopped at British level by um, by Nick Blackwell is shocking to think what he's actually gone on to achieve since then. Obviously, he had the close fight with Rocky Fielding. That one could have gone either way. Um, you know, he's had various fights now in a row, pretty much, where it's been a 50-50 fight, in my opinion. And he has won every single one by knockout. And I'm going to go over them, actually. Um, so, obviously, since losing to... Let's go right back to that Blackwell loss in 2015. He got knocked out in the seventh round. He beat tough journeyman Adam Jones. Then he beat Sergei Kamitsky, the Brit basher. That was quite impressive. He, he was able to nullify him there. He got cut early on. He beat him. Uh, then he beat a journeyman on points. Fair enough. Then he lost a close one to Jack Arnfield. Um, 
Then, of course, he, he took on Adam Etches. We forget about Adam Etches. A good fighter. He never boxed after this, by the way, Adam Etches. He only had the one loss, and that was to Kamitsky when he got brutally knocked out. Um, and, yeah, he fought John Ryder. That one, on paper, was a real 50-50 fight. He beat him pretty handily. Then he took on Rocky Fielding. Like I say, it was a split decision over 12 rounds. Rocky went on to become a world champion after that. Um, you know, John Ryder, like I say, he maybe perhaps won that fight. Then he took on Patrick Nielsen. Ranked number number one in the WBA or one or, or number two, I think he was number one. And John Ryder knocks him out on the undercard of Groves and Cox. It was a brutal knockout. Uh, then he takes on Jamie Cox and he stops him in two rounds. Then he takes so so you know that's quicker than George Groves could do it. And then he takes on Andre Sorokin, an undefeated Russian. We're hearing lots of good things about his amateur career and stuff like that. Sorokin got knocked out in the seventh round after having quite a bit of success early. Then he takes on this guy that is being tipped to be a future world champion he knocks him out as well he's coming off four knockouts in a row now John Ryder and most of them have come early like I say the fifth round the second round the seventh round and the third round so he has improved incredibly since moving up to 168 so for me he is actually the most improved fighter in Britain John Ryder I'm absolutely over the moon for him like I say hopefully he'll be joining us sooner rather than later on this week's show I think he probably will come on whether it's the first interview or the second I'm not quite sure at this moment in time um but yeah that's it for that one and the top of the bill the final fight to mention I as I'm going to come to you first here Saul Canelo Alvarez 52 wins now he's got the one loss He's got the two draws, and in the other corner, Mr. Daniel Jacobs, 35 and 3. Daniel Jacobs, of course, brought his IBF world title along. Um, sorry, his WBA world title along. Was it? Is it the, was he the WBA or was he IBF? I'm forgetting now. IBF. IBF, I thought so. And obviously, Canelo, you know, he brought his WBA and WBC world titles. A 12 round unanimous decision there for. Canelo Alvarez, obviously Daniel Jacobs at the weigh-in, Ayaz. Um, of course, he made the weight, and then they had the same-day weigh-in in which he got penalised heavily for, for weighing over the limit to try and give himself an advantage that, in the end, didn't work out at all and just ended up costing him um, around about a million dollars, which is quite shocking, to be honest with you. But what did you make of the fight itself? I felt like Canelo was the rightful winner. Yep, um, I agree with you there. I mean, Canelo Alvarez was the rightful winner, obviously. The fight really didn't live up to his high expectation, to be fair. From the start of the round, uh, Canelo was jabbing him, moving him, boxing him, hitting him. This was the, from round one to five. In the later rounds, Jacob was obviously um, jabbing him as well, hitting him. Jacob, I remember Jacob hit him with a, le- uh, with a right hand, and Canelo Alvarez just didn't even take it, just take it right on the chin. Uh, obviously, the left hook, if that's the same yeah. punch. Yeah. Sorry, a left hook, yeah, and Canelo just took it like it's nothing. He's like a robot machine to me, in my opinion. Um, obviously, cannot, and then in the 10th, 11th round, Jacobs did win the round, like, with, with, obviously with the jab in his work rate, but in the end, Canelo nicked it. And I thought it was a typical Canelo performance to me. It, the fight really didn't live up to his expectation, to me, to be fair. And I think, obviously, the rightful winner, Canelo, won, won at the end. But he's now, he's now, obviously, the IBF champion as well. Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, I mean, another point gained for yourself and the listeners, I as you couldn't be torn on the prediction last week. You both went with Canelo to win on points. My analysis of the fight real quick, I mean, the first round, again, it was it was a nothing round in my opinion. It was a bit of a feeling out kind of round. Obviously, the size difference was so unbelievable. Just looking at Jacobs next to Canelo, Jacobs looked absolutely huge, and Jacobs was happy to box off the back foot. Canelo was, of course, holding the center of the ring. But like I say, it was really a nothing round. The second round, that was where Daniel Jacobs looked a little bit flashy when he was letting his hands go in little combinations, but they were few and far between, and I think that Canelo's jab in that second round was key and he would double up the jab um, without necessarily throwing it you know both jabs to the head he'd throw one to the head and one to the body and that was clever work um, you know it was confusing for Jacobs at that point uh, not not too much really happened you know it didn't really live up to the expectations I think I mean I always thought Canelo would win pretty easy I even said I felt like he could even stop Jacobs late on which obviously didn't happen the fourth round 
you know, it was it was brilliant defence from Canelo. His defence was absolutely excellent. Uh, Jacobs was second best at everything in that fourth round. Canelo really looked a level above him. Going into the eighth round, though, for the first time in the fight, Jacobs was able to back Canelo up. It wasn't for too long, but he did manage to do it. He landed some nice combinations, mainly to the body of Canelo. I felt like it was a little bit too late, but... Um, you know, it was encouraging stuff for Jacobs even late on in the fight. But once again, Canelo's head movement was sublime. In the ninth round, that was where that left hook landed. I as, if I'm not mistaken, it was a big left hook. Canelo took it without much problems. Um, Jacobs did seem like he was beginning to find a bit of a rhythm, even though it was as late on as the ninth round. And in the tenth round, Danny became more competitive in that in you know in that round and even that ninth round um he was competitive but i wasn't really necessarily scoring the fight but even though he was competitive it didn't really seem like he was always doing enough to nick the rounds i still felt like the better work came from canelo but i respected the effort from jacobs late on in the fight after not a fantastic start um but yeah i, I didn't score it i kind of wish i did because everyone seems to have different scorecards it's like you couldn't possibly get it wrong someone somewhere will agree with your score Card. I've even seen people giving it to Jacobs by two rounds, and I think even one boxing writer gave it to Jacobs eight four on on first on first glance. I mean that's 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 unreal. Um, but yeah, the rightful man won for me, and it's ninety seven ninety seven on the prediction league now. I as between yourself and the listeners, more predictions at the very end of the show. But that's it for the review part. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBC featherweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Gary, welcome back on the show, sir. Wow, wow, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you on. It truly is, Gary. So we last spoke, like I say, back in May of last year. It was fight week for the Joseph Diaz Jr. fight. Um, I know it kind of seems like old news now, but obviously it was your last fight. How did you assess your performance last time out? Uh, I gave myself about a... B minus uh, when I fought Joe Diaz. Still thought it was a great performance. Um, I injured, I think I injured one of my hands early in that particular fight, and was still able to make the adjustment to get the W. You know. And you did say to me before the fight that you'd be massively disappointed in yourself if you were unable to get a stoppage. I mean, perhaps you underestimated the toughness of Joseph Diaz, but you did take his O. It was a brilliant performance. Uh, were you disappointed in your performance? I think if you were, you'd be being quite harsh on yourself, Gary. Um, no, I was definitely disappointed. Um, like I said, I wanted to uh, get Jojo about it. I wanted to uh, hurt my hand. I hit him directly on top of his head um, in, I believe, like the second or third round. And that that right there was one of the things that kind of helped held me back from being able to get him up out of there. I had to take off the, the take some of the steam off of my punches, you know, because I hurt my hand. I had him directly on top of his head, but um, we still got the W. Absolutely, the all-important factor. Um, your next fight, like we say, it takes place next weekend in New York at the Barclays Center. In the other corner, the former super bantamweight world champion, Kiko Martinez. Us Brits have seen Kiko a few times. He, of course, boxed Carl Frampton twice. He boxed Scott Quigg, and most recently he boxed uh, the, the new IBF featherweight world champion, uh, Josh Warrington. But tell me, um, Gary, what do you know about Kiko? Do you know much about the guy? Uh, I know nothing, know much about him other than the things that you just told me. You know, other than the things that you just said. I know he's going to be uh, physically uh, tough. He knows that he's getting in there with Mr. Gary Russell Jr. So I'm pretty sure he's going to prepare himself for the best of his ability. But uh, I plan on taking care of him as well. And you're right there. He, he, you know, he's a tough guy. He's known for that. Um, he's he's only been stopped though by. Uh, Scott Quigg, Carl Frampton, and Leo Santa Cruz. So basically, he gets stopped against the true world-level uh, fighters. So, you know, like you said, last time you, you were disappointed if you didn't stop Joseph Diaz. I'm guessing you'll probably be double yeah. double disappointed if you aren't able to get Kiko out of there next weekend. Of course. But I can tell you one thing, regardless of the situation, I'm going to come out victorious. 
for sure. Uh, since we last spoke, I mentioned just there, there is a new world champion in your weight class. It's it's Josh Warrington from the UK. He's looking really good. Two back-to-back wins over Lee Selby and Carl Frampton. Have you seen anything of, of, of Josh, Gary? I know you don't really watch boxing too much, but is he a guy that you've you've seen? Have you got any inter- interest in boxing him at all in the future? Um, Of course. You know, I want, I want to compete against any of the world champions. Anyone else that's a world champion I want to compete against. Uh, the funny thing is, it's just kind of difficult for me to get these world champions to be willing to put their title on the line and get in the ring and compete against me. So that's been the issue when it came to a lot of these world champions. And I remember, again, when we did last speak, you said that you were pretty much you know, willing to, to even move to perhaps catch weights to make these big fights happen. I think that's you said... Right. That's right. You said from anywhere to 126 to 140. Yeah. At this point in time, Gary, are you any closer to kind of, you know, having that goal? Is it is it to try and move up and win a world title in a different weight class? Is it a unification? What would you prefer out of those options? I mean, if it was up to me, once again, like I say, I would love to get a unification bout with Leo Santa Cruz or any of the other world champions in my division. But, I mean, if I can't get that fight after this one, God willing, we get past uh, this guy because we never underestimate anyone. But, God willing, we get past this guy. If we can't get that fight, you know, then I do plan on moving up in weight, uh, challenging the champion at 130. I think his name is Burchett, who has the title at 130. Um, if we can't if we can't get this one of these world champions, I'm going to be moving up to challenge Burchett for, for his WBC world title. Yeah, Miguel Burchell. Yeah, that would be a cracking fight, actually. Um, do you have interest... I want to throw a random name out here at you, Gary, and you can you can answer this or, or you can refuse to. Javonte Davis, 130. That's a fight I really like. Of course. Of course. That's definitely someone else that's in our sights. I think he's a good fighter, but I think that he's somewhat overestimated. Um, based upon the fact that I don't feel as though that he competed against anyone. Uh, I believe that anyone, ever, all the guys that he's been competed against wasn't really too much of a challenge. He's fighting these guys that as soon as he hits them, they fall down. You know, um, he's not fighting anyone that's going to really give him any opposition. Someone is going to really give him some resistance. Uh, that's definitely someone that we will uh, compete against as well. I'd love to see that fight come to fruition, if I may say so. Um, I want to also mention, once again, your two brothers are boxing on the same card as you. They're both still undefeated. Um, you, you kind of gave us a bit of a lowdown last time on their progression. I just really want to kind of ask you the same question. How are they both getting on? Of course, two guys with real promising futures in the sport. Yeah, they're coming along wonderful. They're coming along wonderful. Um, Antoine, as well as Antonio... Russell, Antoine as well as Antonio Russell, they're really both competing on this card with me on on May 18th. Um, I can't think of their their opponents' names right offhand, but these guys are going to be in for rude awakening because my younger brothers, they are extremely hungry. They're not going to let anything stand in their way. Yeah, in particular, I like um, Gary Antoine Russell's opponent, um, Marcos Mojica, his name is. He's 16-3 and three with two draws, but he's only been stopped early by the 2016 Olympic gold medalist, a guy called Daniel Yelusinov. He stopped him in three. So, of course, your brother, uh, Antoine Russell, he's 8-0 and with eight knockouts, so obviously a big puncher. I mean, if he can get the job done in similar fashion as that 2016 Olympic gold medalist, then that's a real statement there. So I really like that fight. But, of course, best of luck to you and your two younger brothers, Gary. And just finally, before I let you go, have you got any closing message to your UK supporters from over here that listen to you and support your journey? Oh, my God. I just want to tell the the fans that's out there for the UK that love my work that I'm greatly appreciative, you know, for them liking the work that I do. And I tell people, man, ass women's are universal. It doesn't matter where you come from or what your ethnicity is but none of that. Uh, Whatever language you speak, when you get in the ring with Mr. Gary Russell Jr., you understand what's going on and what's happening. What a fantastic way to end the interview. Listen, Gary, it has been a real pleasure speaking with you once again. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for the 18th, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after, my friend. 
Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me once again. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. It hasn't been done properly recently, Ayaz, because it's been me doing it, but I want you to take it away. What have we been missing? Yes, Golovkin will now be trained by Jonathan Banks. Yeah, Jonathan Banks, friend of the show. He's been on enough times. One of our very first guests ever back in 2015, Jonathan Banks. A real nice guy. Um, you know, I'm I'm hoping to try and get him on again very soon to talk about Golovkin uh, linking up with him. It's, it's, it seemed to really take the boxing world by shock. I mean, it did for me. I was absolutely stunned when I saw that. I think it was Coogan Cassius who tweeted it out first. I saw it and thought... Whoa, is he joking or what? I mean, obviously the connection is that um, he used to train Vladimir Klitschko. Vladimir Klitschko is associated with Tom Loeffler. Tom Loeffler is associated with Gennady Golovkin. You'd imagine that's how the the uh, you know the scenario came came around. And um, I will be sure to ask these questions to Jonathan Banks. I've reached out to him, so hopefully he comes on the show. Um, but yeah, I'm pleased for Jonathan Banks because after Vladimir hung up the gloves, he didn't really have anything to do because he actually stopped boxing himself to be Vladimir's trainer. Pretty much because being Vladimir's trainer earned more money than boxing himself. Then Vladimir hung up the gloves and, you know, Jonathan Banks, I think, was in two minds about if he was going to try and make a comeback because obviously he didn't really have that big super huge payday I mean he's still training um, Cecilia Baracus probably the pound for pound number one in women's boxing but of course we, we don't need to sit here talking about the earning difference I mean it's, it's, it's not a conversation worth discussing really um, you know the, the difference in the money that he'd have been making in the corner of Vladimir to the corner of Cecilia Barakhouse is just not in the same league but you know he was doing that and you know he went under the radar a lot of people lost interest in him because he didn't really have any other guys of note and now he's got Golovkin so the spotlight is back on JB and we shall try to get him on nice guy all the best to him I hope it works well for the pair of them Yes, uh, Tommy Cole will face Chris Algieri on the undercard, Anthony Joshua versus uh, Andy Ruiz. Yeah, um, I mean, look, Chris Algieri, you'd probably say, is at the tail end of his career. We had him on the show around about Christmas time, and he said that he had a little bet with himself when making his comeback that if he lost a few rounds, he would actually go back into retirement again pretty much I, f I don't think he ever officially went into retirement but he wasn't going to box again he won the fight um, I think he's had a fight since then where he got cut or something like that so it does seem like he's he's getting to the tail end of his career it does seem like he doesn't really have that hunger that he once had Tommy Coyle again he should be at the back end of his career um, you know he's been around for a long time Coyle he's been in some tough tough fights uh, Chris Algieri's had a couple of tough fights, not as many, I don't think, as Tommy Coyle. It's it's hard to say because obviously you think about Chris Algieri when he took on Provodnikov. You think about Chris Algieri when he took on Manny Pacquiao, Amir Khan. Um, but he's only lost really to world level fighters, and Tommy Coyle is not a world level fighter. So if Chris Algieri has anything left in the tank, he should be able to do the job. Um, but, you know, Tommy Coyle can punch, and he'll be well up for this. It's his world title fight, pretty much. And if Chris Algieri overlooks him, it could be, uh, you know, a dangerous thing. It, it is a banana skin from his point of view. Um, but, yeah, it's an okay fight. I think, I think Coyle loses quite handily, to be honest. Right, the next fight is that Dimitris Andrade will face Major Selecki for the WBO middleweight title on June the 29th and at the Dunkin' Donut Centre. The Dunkin' Donut Centre, that is somewhere I'd like to visit, to be honest, not to watch any boxing. Um, I wonder if they actually sell donuts or it's just owned this, this place by the Dunkin' Donut Company, because that's pretty boring if it is. Take the donuts away from the name of this venue if it has nothing to do with donuts. If you can't get a donut in the venue, then it shouldn't be called the Dunkin' Donut venue, in my opinion. Um, or the Dunkin' Donut Center. Because I'm going there for donuts, not for boxing. Um, some people would choose to eat some donuts instead of watching this fight, to be honest. I think that's a little bit harsh. 
Demetrius Andrade, good friend of the show, um, undefeated world champion, one of the toughest guys actually out there. I mean, he had a real a real um, shout for being in the pound-for-pound pound rankings a few years back. Then, of course, he hit the inactivity. He's moved up in weight. He's won a world title again. Um, he deserves to be mentioned amongst the pound-for-pound pound fighters. Not necessarily top 10, but he is certainly top 15 to top 20. Certainly. Um... Yeah, he takes on Masil Selecki, a man that had a tough life and death kind of fight the other week or the other month with Gabe Rosado. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not encouraging. Um, and obviously, he just about got through that one, Selecki. And, you know, his other loss came to Danny Jacobs. Uh, I'm expecting Demetrius Andre to school him, to be honest. I think it's a one-sided fight, that one. Um that's an easy win there for, for Demetrius Andrade, in my opinion. I think it's a very pointless world title defense. I'd rather see the Canelo fight. I'd rather see the Billy Joe Saunders fight. I'd rather see the Charlo fight. I'd rather see... Uh, let's think of other names at 160. I'd rather see the Golovkin fight. I'd rather see the um, Matty Korobov fight. There's so many other fights I'd like to see instead of this one. So I'm not I'm not hyped for this at all. Uh, that's it, though. That's it for me on that one, I ask. Yep. And finally, um, Richard Rickpoff will face Chris Billum-Smith uh, on the undercard, Dillian White versus Oscar Rivas. Very good fight, by the way, for the Cruiserweights. Both men undefeated. Poor, a man managed by Dillian White. And Chris Billum-Smith, I thought he had some kind of contractual agreement with Cyclone Promotions. Perhaps he still does, I'm not sure. But anyway, he's fighting on an Eddie Hearn show here. And he's a good fighter from Bournemouth, um... I think he resides in Bournemouth at the minute, but he's got a bit of a fan base behind him. And he's a good fighter. Like I say, I think he looked pretty good in his last fight, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was... Uh, I think I might have been there for it. I think it might have been York Hall, perhaps. I think it was York Hall. Was it on the on the undercard of Hunter and Bacoli, perhaps? But anyway, good fight to Chris Billum-Smith. Good fight there. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that one, actually. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, is that it for the news? Yes, that's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start in the Nottingham Arena in United Kingdom. Uh, in the United Kingdom, I should say. I believe it's a next-gen card. Um, the return of Stephen Smith, 25-4. and four, Almost the forgotten man, actually, of British boxing. We haven't seen him since he, he faced that Mexican and his ear was hanging off. I believe that was almost two years ago now. Charles Frankham, he finally makes his debut. We've been waiting on that for months. Also on the bill, Terry Harper, the lady managed by or promoted by Steffi Ball, 6-0. She puts her WBC international female lightweight title on the line against Claudia Lopez, 25-9. and That's 10 two-minute rounds. Also on the bill, Lee Wood. This is the fight of the night, by the way. Lee Wood, 21-1, takes on Ryan Doyle, 17-3 with one draw. That one's for the common wealth featherweight title believe me that is a great fight lee wood i'd like to try and say uh, with lee wood he's a guy that i want to say he's kind of had a a pretty easy-ish way to 20 wins um, or 21 wins i should say because he hasn't really boxed loads of great fighters i mean his best win is probably uh i'd probably say was lee glover or josh well um, obviously his one loss came by knockout to Gavin McDonald, who really doesn't knock people out. And like I say, he takes on Ryan Doyle, former, um, former holder of the belt. He obviously lost it in his last fight to Jordan Gill back in October. But other than that, uh, Ryan Doyle can punch. Ryan Doyle has got the pedigrees, mixed it with the likes of Reese Bellotti. He's mixed it with the likes of, uh, James Tennyson. He's mixed it with the likes of Isaac Lowe. You know, so I think he's got the better pedigree. I think he's got the better wins. He's got the better names. And for me, he wins the fight probably by knockout. I don't think, uh, you know, it looks good on your resume. If you're fighting uh, Ryan Doyle and you got stopped by Gavin McDonald, it doesn't look good. Obviously, Gavin is a friend of the show. That's no disrespect to him, but he'll be the first one to say he's not a big puncher. Um, I will say that one was down at super bantamweight. And of course, since then, Lee Wood has moved up. So perhaps getting down to 122 was hard for him because he moved up straight after that fight. 
and topping that bill, Jordan Gill, 23-0. He puts his WBA international featherweight title on the line. He's really starting to impress, actually, Jordan Gill. But he takes on here another kind of unknown guy. It's the second unknown fighter, really, in a row for him. Um, in, in his last fight, he, of course, took on Emmanuel Dominguez. He looked great. He won the third-round knockout. Um, but we didn't really know too much about Dominguez unless you looked a bit deeper. And now he takes on Enrique Tinoco, so it's another unknown. Um, but yeah, this guy Tinoco has a record of 17-5 and five with four draws, uh, 12 knockouts. He hasn't boxed since um, just over a year, actually, last March. So 14 months out of the ring, he beat a guy with a losing record. Um, he went the distance with Devin Haney. That's something to to uh, to think about there. An eight-rounder there. He lost every round to Devin Haney, the new signing with Matram. Uh, he's also been in there with prospect Mario Barrios, who I believe is fighting this weekend. Uh, that one was eight rounds. He went with him. He got stopped in three rounds by Miguel Roman. Uh, obviously, Roman is a puncher. And aside from that, there aren't really any other standout names. He hasn't really got any good wins or anything like that. Probably another easy win there for Jordan Gill. He'll probably look good. Moving out now to Germany at the Stad Hall. Robin Krasnicki, 49-5, and five, looking for win number 50. He puts his EBU European super middleweight title on the line against prospect Stefan Hartel, who's 17-1. and one. That's a good fight there, by the way. I believe Krasnicki probably, probably wins. He's got the experience on his side, but Hartel's a decent fighter. Moving over now to the Brentwood Centre in Essex, United Kingdom, trying to whiz through this as quick as possible. Harlem Eubank, 7 and no, he's in a six-rounder, no opponent just yet. Sam Gilly, 7-0, and prospect, six rounds against uh, Fernando Valencia, a man who has got a record of 8-12. and 12. He's only been stopped once. It was by Bradley Skeet in that same venue. Also on that bill, Danny Dignam, 10-0. He takes on Rafał Jakowicz, the Polish fighter, if I'm not mistaken. 50 wins, 22 losses, and two draws. And the return of Liam Walsh. He hasn't boxed since losing to Javante Davies at the Copper Box in that world title fight. He's back. It's good to see that. He's now uh, joined up with MTK. This is an MTK show, by the way, so shout out to Lee Eaton. Moving out now to the uh, the convention center in Tucson, Arizona, USA. Two fights to mention over here. This one's going to be shown on ESPN. It's a top-ranked show. Top in the bill, Miguel Bushelt, 35-1. and one. He takes on Francisco Vargas, 25-1 and one with two draws. Wasn't Vargas the guy that almost sliced off Stephen Smith's ear? Was it him? This one is for the WBC World Super Featherweight title. Emmanuel Navarrete, 26-1. and one. He takes on Isaac Dogbay, 20-1. and one. It is for the WBO World Super Bantamweight title. Can Dogbay try and... Uh, Avenge his only loss. Of course, it's a rematch. Dog Bay was just too small in the first fight. He certainly hasn't grown. He's just gone away and tried to work harder and take this man a lot more serious than he did the first time. Can he get the revenge? We'll have to wait and see. He is a friend of the show, so I'd love Isaac Dog Bay to do it, but he is very, very small for, for super bantamweight. Um, we've gone to the predictions on that one, Ayaz. Emmanuel Navarrete, he was too big for Dog Bay last time out. Uh, can Dog Bay pull it back, though, and get a win this time? How do you see this fight playing out? I'm going to go on Isaac Dogbay to win my points. I'll go back in the British person. Back in the Brit. Okay, okay. Isaac Dogbay on points. Um, I'll check what the listeners said at the end of the show. Um, and the final card to mention... Uh, oh no, there's two here. One's real quick. It's at the Hilton Bayfront in St. Petersburg, Florida, USA. Wilkie Campfort, friend of the show, 25 and 3. He takes on Jonathan Batista, 18 and 15, in an eight round contest there. Uh, and the final bill to mention at the Eagle Bank Arena in Fairfax, Virginia, USA. This one, a PBC show. We've got prospect Lorenzo Simpson, 3 and 0. He's in a four rounder against Laurent Nelson, who's 5 and 2. We have Mar- Mario Barrios, obviously the brother of Selena Barrios, who fought the other week on the undercard of Progray and um, and Relic. Uh, obviously, she took her first loss. Barrios, 23-0, undefeated still. 10 rounds against Juan Velasco, 20-1. His one loss actually came to Regis Progray, and he was able to hit Regis Progray 
probably more often than any other fighter has. So that could be quite interesting. That's a 10-rounder, like I say. Uh, Matty Korobov, 28-2. and two. He's in a 10-rounder against Emmanuel Alim, who's 18-1 and one with one draw. Again, you'd say that Korobov's got that... You know, that, that pedigree, the amateur pedigree, and the guys he's took on in the pros, like the likes of Andy Lee, the likes of one of the Charlo brothers. Um, you'd say he's got too much for a lean. And the final the final fight is a brilliant fight, by the way. It is for the IBF, IBO, and WBA Super World Super Welterweight titles. Jarrett Hurd, 23-0. He takes on Julian J-Rock Williams, 26-1 with one draw. Of course, the one loss came to Jamal Charlo just before he moved up to middleweight. That's a 12-rounder there. That's a great fight, Ayaz. Jarrett Hurd, J-Rock Williams. Good fight. Yeah, it's a very good fight, but I'm gonna, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Jarrett Hurd to win by knockout. I think Jarrett's a very good boxer. And I think just I think Jared has uh, too much power. I think he's gonna have a lot of power, and I think he's gonna beat him. Yeah, I think I agree. Once again, we have gone to the predictions. I'll check at the very end of the show to see what the listeners have gone with. But I think J. Rock Williams, of course, he's got that he's got that good power to be honest. And if he can land on Hurd, it could get interesting. But if that doesn't happen, which I don't really expect it to happen, I think Hurd has got a great work rate. He's got a great engine. He's got the size, which is a key factor in any fight that he has. And I think he can overwhelm you. He can bully you. And I think that Julian Williams can um, sometimes tire late on. And I think that could be his undoing. I think Jarrett Hurd probably wins pretty pretty wide uh, on points or perhaps even gets a late stoppage even though like I say Julian Williams is a friend of the show so all the best to him I'd like to see him do it to be honest with you but you can't fault Jarrett Hurd he seems like he'll fight anyone he's got the best resume at 154 you'd say um, with the names that he's got on his record I just want to see perhaps one or two unifications if he can get those fights but that is about it for that one just before we wrap up part two the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Islington icon and the new WBA interim super middleweight champion of the world. It is, of course, the gorilla, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome back on the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that introduction. Some build up. <laughs> it's a pleasure having you, John. You know that. Uh, we last spoke back in October. It's been quite a while. Uh, I think it was just before the Sorokin fight, so a nice kind of... Uh, barely on your mind now that win but please just give us a quick assessment a couple of words on that night by the way uh, that night was um, obviously a good win a uh, little, little bit complicated he, um, he come out with a, a different style to I was expecting a bit more negative I was expecting to rush forward a bit but um, got got a nasty cut over the eye in on the rounds and um, got caught with a flush on with an headbutt on the forehead which threw me off a bit and just just a few I think where he, he comes from a kickboxing background, he was a bit unorthodox. Very, very unorthodox with his style. So that, that took, took me a while to deal with, but got there eventually with a body shot and that put that to bed. Yeah, it certainly did. And now the big one, of course, you beat Sorokin. He was undefeated. Then you stepped into another fight with another undefeated fighter, two in a row, as you do. Uh, Bilal Akawi, 20-0 with one draw. I'd actually heard some great things about Akawi. People actually told me that he would be Australia's next world champion. And I was nervous. I've got to be honest, John. Talk us through that excellent win on the Canelo undercard on Saturday. Well, you know what? It's funny. Conor Ben said to me a couple of months ago, oh, have you seen that Australian, that Bilal Akawi? And I was like, yeah, I said, yeah, he spars like, this was like in, in talk, like, I said, yeah, he spars Canelo, he's like, yeah, Conor was like, yeah, he's sick, I was like, alright, alright, Conor, shut up, but then um, then it then it turns out I'm fighting him, do you know what I mean, it was fucking mad, but uh, yeah, he's um, he's obviously got the good reputation from sparring Canelo, but I was on, on such a different level the other night that he got dealt with. He did. What did Conor Ben have to say about that? I'm sure you must have said something. There must have been a bit of banter. <laughs> no, Joe. You know at, at the time, I, I didn't really see him as it, it, he wasn't my my money's opponent was David Lemieux, and nothing much more was said on it. I didn't. It was couldn't have been further out of my mind. But Conor Ben obviously knows more about the Australian boxing scene than than me, and we were just saying about have you seen him fight and whatnot and I was just like nah not really seen him but just heard heard good things from the current sparring Oh, wicked man! Well, like I say, Connor must be must be over the moon with that. Um, the, the knockdowns, obviously, the first one uh, 
it wasn't it a, quite a quick and snappy free punch combination? It, it, it like the, the TV angle didn't really do many favors. I think it kind of showed the last two shots. Was it a free punch combination that ended with a right hook, John? I think I don't know. I thought I thought it was a, a, a one-two right hook, but looking back on it, I think it's a a one-two um, right uppercut, right hook. I'm sure there was an uppercut in there somewhere, but um, yeah, I've got a footage somewhere, but um, I'll have a delve through and send it to you if I can find it. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it was a four punch combination the first one. Okay, okay, and uh, the second knockdown that one came from obviously you know you were swarming him kind of thing, but a straight left I believe was the punch that put him down. Another excellent knockdown. Yeah, see, I mean, I think I hit him with a right hook again, and he seemed to drop, but then he come back up again. And yeah, he did, yeah. I hit him with a, a straight backhand, and he, he just kind of sunk into the corner. And credit to Bilal, of course, for getting back up both times, but when he did get back up, you swarmed him and forced the referee to step in. Not often does a referee go to stop the action, but actually be heard saying, ooh, good shot, just before formally waving it off. <laughs> I, I, think that, I think that was a shot he got hit in the chest with. <laughs> yeah, but... Back way through a left hook, and uh, I stepped back, and he, he he hit the referee straight in the chest with it. So um, yeah, I think it took the wind out of his sails a bit. <laughs> and I want to say this, right? I mean, looking back now, after that Nick Blackwell loss, you know, you went on to take on Sergei Kamitsky, and people weren't sure that you'd beat him. If we're being honest, you know, he had quite a reputation on these shores. It was a fifty-fifty fight. You beat him. Then, of course, you went on to to take on Arnfield. It was a fifty-fifty. Could have gone either way on the night. You didn't get the win on points. Then the Adam Etches fight, another fifty-fifty. A good fighter Etches was. I think he retired a bit too soon, for my personal opinion. But you beat him. Yeah, agree. You beat him fairly comfortable on points. Then the Rocky Fielding fight, another 50-50. You narrowly lost. I mean, it was a split decision. He went on to win a world title. It could have gone either way. Patrick Nielsen, that fight there, i got to be honest, John, I think I've said it before, I thought that you'd probably lose that one. I was hearing brilliant things about him. You destroyed him. It was more than a 50-50. The Jamie Cox fight, arguably a 50-50. He'd only lost to George Groves, a world champion. You go and stop him in half the time Groves did. Then the Sorokin fight, another undefeated, highly touted run had the kickboxing background unorthodox as we said another 50-50 you were probably losing on, on, on points at the time if I'm not mistaken and then you come back and stop him in the 7th and then of course you were going to have to fight Lemieux a man that can literally switch your lights off in one shot a real big puncher and I actually felt at that point that most fighters do a lot less to go and get a world title shot. I think that you've you've done some incredible things since the, the Nick Blackwell loss. I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. And if I'm honest, I was I was quite happy when the Lemieux fight fell through, John. If I'm being honest, because I think that was a too too hard of a task to put in front of a world title fight. But in steps this undefeated Australian. You know, I'm hearing he's a future world champion, and you absolutely wipe him out with relative ease. And for these reasons, in my opinion, you're quite clearly the most improved fighter in boxing. That's not just British boxing; it's almost worldwide. To go on to what you've achieved, John, it's unbelievable. No, thank you. I appreciate it. It's um, it's been a it's been a long, tough journey, but you know, I wouldn't change things for the world. All these, all these experiences and all this let down heartbreak have just um, made me that more determined to do well and succeed. It is incredible. I think you uh, heard you say something the other day about what was it, eighty nine and two, your last four opponents records. Yeah, I think eighty nine wins, two two losses, and two draws. I think in the records combined. So yeah, not bad, is it? Not bad. I mean, if you if you chuck in your last seven opponents, I believe it's a hundred and thirty two and four. So that's. Uh, you know that's that's incredible as well. Um, obviously, oh, that's, that's mental, it's, it's mental, John. It is, and it's just it's just unbelievable. Um, what what is next for you? I know it's it's very early days. Obviously, um, what did you arrive yesterday back in the UK? Yeah, got back yesterday morning. Um, just family time, really. My little girl was at school, so I went and picked her up from school in the day and spent time with my partner Nancy, just just taking it easy. But um, yeah, no, I'm sure I'll hear from Eddie this week and the team and see what's next but um, there's, there's obviously a big talk with Cameron Smith fighting in June 1st and then I think Canelo's stated that he, he'd like to fight him and um, for the title so who knows but I'm, I'm told that I will get called up for the mandatory soon so I'm just going to 
enjoy the rest, wait patiently, and, and see where we go. What the next move is? Is that the likely thing that you'll do when you say just wait patiently, or do you think you will have to take a fight in the interim period? And if so, will it be another big fifty-fifty fight? You're you're having too many fifty-fifties. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I mean, if I if I keep pulling through the fifty-fifties, I am. Do you know what? Give me a couple more because um, I'm buzzing at the moment, and I truly believe I can beat anyone. So. The bigger the fight, the more I get up for it, and the harder I train, and the more disciplined I'm myself. So, just uh, give me the big names, give me give me the hard fights, and I'll take them. Yeah, and I should mention those fifty fifties. You're coming off four knockouts in a row now. These fifty fifties, you've been blowing them out of there. Um, what was it like to watch Canelo from ringside, John? It's obviously everyone's dream to watch a fight that brilliantly, that close up, and you know you boxed on the undercard, but of course you were you were showered and ready to sit in your ringside seat to watch the the main event. Joe, you know it's funny. I was I was sat there with um, with Tony Sims and and my mum and my dad and um, a couple of friends around us, but. Um, I think my dad, my dad was that jet lagged. He started falling asleep as they was making their way to the ring. And uh, that's that's not that's not a, no, that's no disrespect to the fighters. He just he'd fall asleep standing up. But um, I said you, I said to him, you want to liven yourself up. I said this is the biggest fight of the year, and you're falling asleep for it. So he had a laugh and he apologised. But um, he said, oh, he said it was a bit of a dull fight. And I, and I said to him, you're just you're just uneducated about boxing. Like, I was I, I was angry. He said it was a boring fight. So I said, these are technically two of the best superweights out there, and what you're watching is like a um, a, a tactical masterpiece, really. Like they're that it's a the hit and not get a hit art. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of the Mexican fans were booing in the first round of my fight, and when I see that there's booing at Ken and Jay, because I thought, do you know what? You just you just want to see bloodshed. You just want to see blood and guts on the on the canvas. So I wasn't too disheartened, but I mean, what a technically great show in the boxing. They just they negated everything everyone done and it just everyone's used to seeing Canelo go out there and blast people out there but he just showed that he weren't going to be blasted out by Canelo and that he's a more than credible world champion yeah, he truly is. And it's no secret, John, that you're a big family man. You said there that you came back, the first thing you did is went to go and pick up your daughter from school. Um, I think they said on the telecast the other day you've got another daughter on the way? Uh, you've got a son on the son way, on yeah, the way. August August 12th, he's, he's due, yeah, so um, that's why my partner couldn't travel out to Vegas, she's uh, no long-haul flight, so yeah, yeah heavily pregnant, so that, that was a bit of a disappointment, but I had a job to do, and she had a job to do back here, so we've got, we got, we got, we both got our jobs done, and I'm, I'm back now to help out a bit. Any name yet, John Jr. at all? <laughs> nah, I don't think she's, she's got one. She said she's got one, one too many Johns in her life, so she don't want another John. So uh, yeah, now nah, I think we'll um, still we're still looking through the name books. <laughs> and any closing words for you, John? Just before we let you go, it is always a pleasure talking. Of course, any any closing words for our listeners? No, just thank you for support. support. You know, like your podcast has given me a lot of support. You've constantly been on the text throughout camp and wishing me well and wishing me luck. So. Thank you for having me on, and um, hopefully I'll keep you to them accidental exclusives. Absolutely. John, it is always a pleasure, like I say. Congrats on winning that title. I'm absolutely thrilled for you. I truly am, and we'll speak again very soon for sure. Blinding. Thank you, Joey, mate. Appreciate it. Okay, and this wraps up episode 186 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. I'd like to thank our two guests on this week's show, the new interim WBA champion of the world, Mr. John Ryder, and the reigning WBC featherweight world champion, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. The prediction league currently stands at you, the listeners, on 97. Also, Iaz is on 97, so it's a tie. The prediction, uh, or the predictions for this week, are as follows. Ayers has gone with Dog Bay on points. You, the listeners, have gone with Dog Bay by knockout. Either way, I just hope Dog Bay wins. A friend of the show, a nice guy. And you've both agreed you couldn't be split on Jarrett Hurd to win his fight against Julian Williams by knockout. So best of luck with that. I'd like to see Williams pull off the upset, to be honest. He's a friend of the show. Um, there has been some news break since we've been recording the show. Huey Fury's opponent has been announced for May 25th. It's going to be the undefeated Canadian Chris Norad. Now, Chris Norad has been a pro for 10 years, but he's only really had one fight per year for the last seven years. He's been badly inactive. He's 35 years of age. He's only got eight knockouts. Um, he's 17-0, and 0, I believe. Um, 
And the other big news, it is the fact that on July 13th at London's O2 Arena, earlier today, Frank Warren announced that his two young, unbeaten heavyweight prospects will collide. Daniel Dubois against Nathan Gorman, a brilliant fight there for the British heavyweight title, which is vacant. It will be on the line for that one. But that is about everything, I believe. Thank you all for listening to this week's show. Remember to please leave us a review on iTunes if you do get a chance. We'll see you all again next week. But until Until then, take care.